You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Well, we've moved out of the special feast days and seasons, and now we're back into ordinary time. We get to wear green now, uh, all the way until uh, the beginning of Advent as we prepare for Christmas 2022. It's a long ways off. We've got a few months. Uh, but for now, we're back doing what we were doing for a brief period of time after Christmas and before Lent, and that is we're studying Luke's gospel. Each week or each year, we have a particular gospel that we hear on Sundays. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they rotate every three years, and those are the synoptic gospels, meaning they can be viewed with one eye, a lot of similarities between them. And then we do John's gospel during the special seasons for the most part. Although we do the Bread of Life discourse during Mark's year because Mark's the shortest gospel and they need something to fill in and what could be better than the Bread of Life discourse. Uh, so now we're back to Luke and, you know, I was going to say we kind of started studying Luke basically at Christmas and then in January and then February, you know, we hit, I guess it was March the 2nd, we hit Ash Wednesday. So I don't know how many of y'all remember my homilies from March. Um, I don't remember any of them. And so, and so they all kind of run together. And so now we're going to kind of catch up and look about where we were, because we actually came to a good stopping point, as I mentioned at the time. Okay, so we began at Christmas, and if you, for those of you who went to the Christmas vigil, which was probably almost everybody, because between the two masses, we have about 2,500 people. Okay, so at Christmas, we read, at least at my masses, the genealogy. And, you know, you get the eye rolls because there's a short version that you don't have to read that long genealogy and begin to get bleary-eyed and people are like, Father, come on, it's the children's mass. And I read it for a purpose, and that was that, you know, one of the reasons the genealogy is included is to indicate to us God's presence all throughout history and God's love of us all throughout history. And even in the genealogy, he wrote straight with crooked lines. In other words, there are some blips in the genealogy and God continued to fulfill his promises. And so we embarked upon a study about God's disposition towards us. What does he think about us? And there were readings such as he delights in us. He delights in us. There were readings such as he no longer calls us slaves, but he calls us friends, changing the nature of the relationship to one of friendship. We talked about the fact that God has been relentlessly pursuing us ever since the fall. He loved us in the very beginning and we sinned and in sin brought suffering and death and God has loved us ever since. Loving meaning he wanted to bring us back to true happiness in him. There's only one way to do it and that's to follow him as we learned at Easter. And my Easter Homilies probably were not as joyous as some are. They weren't as bubbly. Certainly we celebrate Easter, but of course the realization of the fact that, okay, God has brought us to new life. Now we have to live that new life. And what does that new life look like? And it's not easy. It's not easy. Jesus tells us it's a narrow path. And so we think of this new life that's been given to us by Christ. And we also know of his disposition so now the question becomes, okay, what's our disposition? God has done everything he can. He's created us, 
He gave us freedom. We abused it. We fell. And ever since then, he's been, been pursuing a full reconciliation with himself. And so the question about God's disposition is that he loves us and he loves us unconditionally. He will give us his love at all times. But we also talked about the phrase unconditional love and mercy. Unconditional love and mercy. And sometimes we take that unconditional and we apply it to the mercy. It only applies to the love. God's love for us is unconditional. It's always there. His mercy, there are some conditions. There are some conditions to friendship. The first of which is we have to be merciful to others, right? To the merciful shall be shown mercy. And I can go, there's a whole list of them. And that's where we're headed now. That's where we're headed now. Luke's gospel is a wonderful gospel as it unveils in one of its principal themes, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? And what are those conditions? What are the demands that God has of us in order to be friends with him? Because friendship has to be mutual. Friendship has to be mutual. You can't have a friend who's not a friend with you. And God tells us in the life of Christ what it takes to be a friend with him. And so we hear in our readings today, and it's an important thing to maybe put that first reading and the end of the gospel reading together because they can appear to be contradictory. In the first reading, we have Elisha being anointed by Elijah and he is going to succeed him as prophet. And so beforehand, of course, Elisha says, let me go back and kiss mom and dad goodbye. And Elijah goes, sure, what have I done to you? Go take care of business. But when he goes back, what he does is he slaughters his oxen and he breaks the yoke and cooks the meat and gives it to the people around him. And in our gospel reading at the end, one person says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. A similar request, huh? A similar request. And Jesus says, no one who sets hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. And don't look back, come. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. And it can appear that these are two different outcomes, but in reality, if we look at the first reading, what was happening with Elisha was he was going back and making his election permanent. In other words, he was destroying his livelihood. His livelihood was in those oxen and in the plow, the tools that he needed to use. So what he was saying was, I'm gonna go back and I am going to make my election permanent and there's no going back. I will be with you, Elijah, until the day that you die or I die. Of course, Elijah ended up being taken up to heaven. But that's what the symbolism of that means. In these other things that Christ talks about, it's interesting. The first one says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, yeah, right. I don't have any place to live. You really gonna follow me? Good luck. In other words, he's warning him, this is not easy. Second one, he says to follow him. He says, let me go bury my father. Don't, he says, don't delay. Let the dead bury their dead. You go proclaim. And then the last, of course, was I want to say farewell. And again, Jesus says, uh-uh, come now. So we look at Elijah. We look at what Jesus says. And we see that one of the demands that God has of us is that we ourselves have to make an election in freedom we are born for freedom, as we hear in our second reading today. And love cannot be given without freedom. He made us free to choose or reject him. And so he's not going to force us. We have to decide. We have to make the act of the will to follow Christ as disciples. 
and that it needs to be prompt and it needs to be permanent because any love worth love is permanent. And so we think of our responses and let's face it, we all on a journey, right? And so how many times have we kind of delayed the working of God in our lives? I would do this, but it's just not the right time. I'm not ready to take on this challenge right now. Let me go do this before I actually move forward with something else. I like to think of St. Augustine, by the way, whenever I get discouraged a little bit, like saying, man, I'm just not doing what I need to do. I think it's one of the prayers of St. Augustine was that, well, St. Augustine, for those of you who don't know, just in case, he, he had a rather dissolute, young life before he converted. That's why St. Monica prayed for him so much. And so one of the things in his writings he mentioned is, you know, I pray to God to be chaste. So he said, prayer is, dear Lord, please make me chaste, just not today. Okay, and that's kind of how we are with the things that we're attached to, the things that we don't want to give up, the things that may be preventing us from being with God, but we kind of take comfort in them whether they're sins or habits or inclinations. This is what Jesus is saying, no, now. And make your election permanent and complete. Have the fortitude to move forward. And that's where our disposition needs to be. If God's disposition is total and complete love for us, our response needs to be in freedom to extend our hand and to trust him and to do what he says and to make it complete. That's where we need to be. And that's what God demands of us. He's all in. The only question is whether or not we are all in. And in varying degrees we are, and in varying degrees we're not. And that's the process that we need to kind of ferret out in our lives in order to grow closer to him. To make what we talked about at Easter, the new life, come to fruition. To become a better person, a happier person, a more peaceful person. Because peace is defined as the presence of Christ. And so as we move forward and we think of Luke's gospel and these things that discipleship requires, I have to remember, it's not easy. But reflection on what's keeping us from God and then being resolutely determined to allow him to change us, for us to repent, is essential to the Christian life. And by the way, our Savior gives a perfect example of that at the beginning of our gospel today. When the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. He was heading to his death, right? And he was resolutely determined to fulfill the mission that God had for him. We are to follow our savior, imitate him, and be resolutely determined to live a life in Christ. And to not deviate, not to delay, but to be ready to follow him as he so commands. It's a tall order being autonomous people. But as I mentioned, God's all in at this point when we think of our response to God because that's all that's left. He's already told us what he thinks of us. He already loves us beyond all love. The only question remaining is what's our response? And is our response one to be resolutely determined to come to know and to love him more deeply by following him more closely? Speaking of resolute determination, uh, there was a decision out of the Supreme Court Friday, I think, if I'm remembering right, a lot of people were very happy. Uh, I certainly uh, am pleased that the legal impediments to uh, hopefully respecting the dignity of life 
in its fullness as a society is certainly been improved and it only removes a legal barrier from states to enact laws that promote the dignity of life. It doesn't require the states to do it. It does return power to the people. It's a very democracy-oriented decision, which is good, because you don't hear government agencies or branches too often saying, I don't have the power to do that and pull back. That was quite refreshing, by the way. It's just not something you hear from politicians. They usually say, I can do it or I will do it. I'm going to try to find a way to do it. I'm not really thinking, is it my job to do it? And in our society, that's an important thing is to remember roles. So it was nice to see that. You don't see it very often, but on the power structure, that's a good trend to be pulling back and letting local communities decide what is right. But really, in the end, our job is just beginning in some ways. You know, there's always been a generosity in our parish and a pro-life uh, attitude in our state. But at the same time, making sure that we promote the dignity of life both in time, talent, and treasure, making sure that we help children who are born into unfortunate circumstances or maybe making sure that mothers have the resources they need to bring those children into the world, all of those things, that work continues because really now it's a battle of minds and hearts. It's a battle of minds and hearts to convince people of the dignity of life from, from the time of conception and to welcome every child to the table of our society. And that's where we struggle for justice and we'll continue to do so. I know that New York's gonna do what it's gonna do, California, Texas is gonna do what it's gonna do, Louisiana's gonna do what it's gonna do. But let's not think that because of one Supreme Court decision that the battle is over, justice has not been established. And when you still have legislators standing and applauding at the passage of a partial birth abortion bill, infanticide, then we've got a ways to go in our country. Even if maybe right here, we're in better shape but we're still not in great shape here either. And so as we move forward, I think we, we rejoice for a day in the sense of, yes, it's moving in the right direction. The pendulum may be swinging in a, in a way that's better, uh, but we also become resolutely determined to continue uh, the struggle for justice, not only in helping those who are in need, but also in helping people change their minds and their hearts about it so that we no longer need laws of any nature of this sort, that it just happens and hopefully we'll get there someday. These kind of struggles take a long, long time. For Roe versus Wade, it was 50 years. It was bad law, it was not decided well. Back in law school, we used to kind of make fun of the, the reasoning, it was not good, so it was kind of low-hanging fruit in many ways. But we ourselves, when we think of how we move forward, think the other great civil rights movement in our country after slavery and Jim Crow, We've been working on that for 150 years and we're still not there yet. And so we continue to make sure that we hopefully respect life and it begins with us respecting each other and making sure that we don't allow the dignity of what God has created to be anything but cherished and to make sure that in the way that we live our lives, we promote that and live it and that will itself witness to those who God places in our lives who maybe need a little help seeing that vision. And so we thank God as we move into the 4th of July for the beautiful country that we have. We have more freedom than any other society, more prosperity than any other society in history. We are very blessed to be here. We've been given this gift. Let's make sure that we use it in a way that is responsible. God mentions that, not for, not for being licentious or, or, or using it for things that are not good, but using this freedom in order to promote a truly just society and continue our journey of justice as a nation 
towards a goodness that God only can provide. Thank you.